Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast, a podcast about zoos, aquariums, animal enrichment, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kyle Benton-Jones, zookeeper, animal lover, enrichment builder, and creator of wildenrichment.com. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first official episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. The last episode was more of an introduction episode, uh, just going over a few things, kind of what to expect from this podcast and uh, all that. So if you want to uh, listen to that, that's episode zero. This is episode one. And in this episode, uh, we'll be talking about um, uh, the benefits of zoos and aquariums. And this is kind of a uh, recap of a very popular article I wrote uh, called The Benefits of Zoos and Aquariums. If you want to check out uh, that article, uh, just go to wildenrichment.com slash articles and uh, it'll be under the blog section of the website. Uh, This uh, article seemed to have resonated with a lot of people, uh, so I thought it'd be a great idea to do uh, kind of the first podcast episode around this. just uh, sort of go through the main concepts and ideas behind the article a little bit easier way um, of kind of digesting the information on the article. If you didn't want to read the whole thing, you can listen to this podcast and it'll give you a great uh, kind of foundation of what uh, the article said. Again, if you want to read the article, uh, I do have a lot of um, links and stuff like that further reading in that article. Uh, so if you want to uh, get a little bit more uh, deep into some of the art- the stuff that we're talking about in the article, uh, definitely read that. Uh, this will kind of give you a foundation. Um, if somebody, say you work uh, in a zoo, uh, if you're in the animal care industry and uh, someone is kind of saying, uh, hey, they're like, you know, why do you work in that industry? Uh, it's cruel. Uh, those animals are sad. Uh, those kind of things. This will kind of give you a uh, kind of base argument that you can tell people uh, kind of what zoos do, what aquariums do, kind of what what they're bringing to the world and what they can do uh, for the world. Because there is a lot uh, to talk about um, and some things that you uh, may not really know. Uh, so, Uh, Yeah, let's uh, dive into it. The uh, kind of first thing that I wanted to talk about in this article was actually kind of what prompted me to actually write it. Um, Surprisingly, I was looking at the Rocks Instagram. It's got a pretty motivational, pretty cool Instagram. Uh, So, but I was looking at it, and he actually posted a couple pictures of himself uh, at SeaWorld, I believe it was, and he was with a sea lion uh, in these pictures. And you know, as per usual, on most of these. Um, kind of, you know, captive animal uh, posts, they w- the comment section uh, was a disaster, to say the least. Um, some of the top comments, uh, you know, people saying it was a nice picture or whatever, but the, some of the loudest voices on the post were, you know, things like, stop supporting captivity you have the influence to help people not encourage people to see them strictly as entertainment um another one uh, fortunate that you unfortunate that you choose to support captivity um really in today's media there are a lot of loud voices kind of calling for the shutdown of animal care facilities 
all over the world. You know, it's not just a uh, Canada or uh, North America problem. But uh, especially on social media platforms, uh, they don't have any context um, or education behind these anti-zoo movements. Um, but no means saying there's nothing wrong with zoos and aquariums because there are, obviously. And there's things that we're all striving as an industry to work on. Uh, but there are pros and cons to everything. And uh, since the cons seem to be so widely understood and perpetuated by uh, certain organizations, uh, whether they are true or false, in this article, I kind of wanted to simply go over uh, the benefits of zoos and aquariums. And uh, to do this, to kind of to start, I wanted to start debunking some of the myths and uh, misconceptions behind zoos and aquariums uh, that, might, that you might hear even on a daily basis as an animal care. Uh, professional. So uh, kind of debunking some myths here. Um, anybody who's ever worked in a zoo or any sort of animal care facility uh, knows they hear common complaints, you know, from members of the public. Uh, the vast majority of these complaints are really just myths and misconceptions and people anthropomorphizing uh, what they think is going on kind of with animals uh, and stuff they've seen on the media. So I figured it'd be good to kind of get them out of the way before we dive deeper into the benefits of zoos and aquariums. Uh, one of the worst uh, kind of myths that I hear a lot is uh, that zoo animals are actually all stolen from the wild. You know, zookeepers are going out there with their nets and uh, their fancy little hats and grabbing, you know, monkeys and all sorts of animals from trees and bringing them back to these zoos and keeping them in cages. Um, you know, this is a complete falsehood. Um, almost all animals housed at in accredited facilities across North America and Europe began their lives in captivity as a product of another zoo's breeding program or that zoo's breeding program. You know, it's, it's only in situations uh, really where the animal uh, is uh, maybe a rescue or something or a failed rehab, something like that, that brings them from the wild to a zoo. Um, zoos across the world organize their animals in complex breeding programs. Uh, we'll cover kind of more of the species survival program a little bit later. Um, uh, that match individuals based on their genetics and history uh, to assume that populations of captive animals are managed correctly. Um, one of the only times an animal is taken from the wild, as I said, and placed into captivity is generally a young or injured animal that was deemed unreleasable. Um, by professionals. So um, it was a very, very old practice uh, taking animals from the wild, uh, you know, and that's a thing of the past. So uh, one of the next myths that I hear a lot and things that I hear the public talking about is, uh, you know, saying that animals are lonely and uh, need a friend when they're in an exhibit. Uh, you hear this all the time from visitors uh, when they're passing an exhibit, especially with one animal inside, you know. Uh, people really like to anthropomorphize saying, you know, I would like a friend if I was in a zoo, so this animal must need something with it uh, for it to be happy. Um, and as I said, that really stems from people anthropomorphizing uh, animals they see in a zoo. Uh, humans are very social animals uh, and one of the worst things you can do to a human is put them in uh, solitary confinement uh, but this isn't the case for a lot of animals you know many animals in the wild are completely solitary uh, they only spend one time with one another to uh, mate uh, things like 
uh, tigers, jaguars, bears, owls, foxes, sea turtles, many, many more. Uh, these animals can be perfectly content living by themselves in a zoo. And, it, you know, in the case of a lot of these animals, it can be very dangerous, uh, really, to house uh, solitary animals together because uh, it could result in violence. They're really not used to, you know, uh, the complexities of dealing with larger groups, uh, kind of that dynamic. So uh, if you see an animal that's not naturally uh, solitary living by itself in an exhibit, because it does happen in zoos, you can be rest assured that the facility is uh, scouring the network of other zoos and aquariums trying to find this animal and exhibit mate. Uh, it's not our intention to keep uh, animals that you know should be existing in large groups, social animals, uh, by themselves uh, because that can lead to a lot of welfare uh, concerns on our part. So uh, the next myth that I was going to talk about is the, the myth that all animals would be happier in the wild. You know, uh, captivity is always the worst thing for them. They'd always be happier in the wild. Um, th this one is so up for interpretation. It's impossible to say with 100% certainty because uh, we can't read animals' minds to tell whether or not they're quote-unquote happy or not. You know, uh, we have different um, markers that allow us to determine uh, whether or not uh, you know, certain welfare um, criteria are met when we're taking care of an animal, but it's impossible to say, you know, what what they're actually feeling uh, inside. Uh, so we kind of assess animals based on behaviors uh, that we know to be normal for that animal. And uh, uh, we can, you know, mitigate behaviors that we know to uh, be caused by stress or boredom, such as stereotypic behaviors, uh, things like pacing and all that stuff. Um, you know, uh, one thing that we know for certain is that being a wild animal is not always a walk in the park. You know, your uh, day as a prey species uh, could be spent, you know, trying to find food so you don't starve while at the same time, you know, not being eaten by a predator. Uh, being eaten by a predator more than often is uh, the furthest thing from a clean kill or humane uh, as that predator is also just trying to stay alive by whatever means necessary uh, you know so um, even if you get away from that predator as a prey species um, even a minor injury can become infected uh, and be result in kind of a long slow death uh, so one of the benefits of zoos and aquariums uh, that we can give our animals is uh, that we can assure all our animals uh, can be relatively safe from predators uh, and they will have access to you know adequate food water medical attention uh, access to these amenities often means that uh, zoo animals will live far far longer than in captivity than they would in the wild uh, you know so this is especially apparent for animals uh, you know where climate change and habitat loss is making the wild more and more difficult uh, each passing year. So all zoos are striving to make sure uh, exhibits are as close to the animal's natural environment as they possibly can, as well as ensuring the animal is stimulated both mentally and physically. Um, another myth uh, that you hear often um, are captive animals are not cared for properly and are simply entertainment for people. Well, uh, we can answer this common misconception um, very easily. I actually wrote a blog post uh, a while ago about how to become a zookeeper. You can check that out on uh, my website as well. Uh, but one of the things you can really, I'll probably do a podcast about this as well, but uh, one of the things you can clearly see 
um, from you know the requirements of a zookeeper zookeeping position are that almost all zookeeping positions require the keepers to possess a bachelor's degree in biology zoologies and they're extremely competitive you know there's hundreds sometimes thousands of people applying for these jobs and the competitiveness really means that zoos can be extremely picky about who they hire you know they're only hiring the best people to take care of these animals and you know being a zookeeper isn't always a high-paying job you know which means that almost all the people who pursue that line of work and are pursuing that line of work do so out of you know love for the animals and for the love of their work so this passion uh, and selectiveness uh, which results in extremely high standards uh, for the care of the animals in the zoo and this is one of the huge benefits of zoos and aquariums you know uh, these are people that are sometimes work their whole lives to be in this job and uh, they're not going to let you know poor standards jeopardize that um, another thing that you know most people uh, you know don't know about zoos is that their standards of care are constantly being updated and scrutinized by large accreditation bodies uh, which we'll talk about next and these accreditation bodies hold zoos accountable uh, for their facilities uh, as well as their standards to ensure that all animals uh, in these accredited facilities are receiving the same level of care across the board uh, so it's uh, great uh, to be held accountable to these and it really helps to make sure that all the animals are getting fantastic care uh, in captivity all right so as i mentioned earlier um, going to talk about accreditation and kind of what that means for uh, these animal care facilities. Um, so many of the zoos and aquariums in North America uh, and the world have to go through a rigorous or accreditation program by a governing body, um, such as uh, the American, uh, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, uh, AZA, um, or uh, the, for example, in Canada, uh, the Canada's Accredited Zoos and Aquariums, uh, CASA. Uh, so being accredited by these organizations has a lot of benefits uh, to the zoo and aquarium uh, that's being accredited. Uh, so these include letting members of the public know that the facility is being held to the highest standards of care. So that kind of helps uh, mitigate a lot of the uh, above myths that we kind of talked about earlier and the above uh, kind of dialogues uh, that are happening at a lot of facilities. Uh, so access to a large database of other accredited facilities animals uh, for exchanges, potential government and grant funding uh, for research and development are just uh, kind of a few of the uh, benefits that can come from getting your facility accredited. Uh, these accreditation bodies really help to ensure uh, that an animal moving between accredited facilities is going to receive uh, the kind of the same standard of care uh, no matter where they go. So uh, the next time uh, you're kind of traveling to a city or looking for a zoo to visit, you know, kind of check to make sure they're accredited uh, by a recognized institution or do some research uh, before you support a facility uh, just to make sure they have the highest standard of care. Not to say that uh, facilities that aren't accredited uh, don't care for their animals very well but make sure you're doing your research before you uh, visit a zoo all right so uh, as I mentioned uh, again a little bit earlier uh, the species survival program uh, is actually one of the largest benefits uh, and really one of the single most important things using aquariums take part uh, in in my opinion um, the program uh, created by the uh, Association of Zoos and Aquariums, uh, AZA, in 1991, 
1981, sorry, is a comprehensive species management program uh, that oversees a variety of species populations with, uh, within other AZA institutions. Uh, so really the main objective of this program is to manage populations of particular species uh, in multiple zoos uh, to ensure that the population has the opportunity to thrive uh, both in captivity and in the wild. Uh, so each uh, plan is closely monitored by uh, the professionals um, called a taxon advisory group, a TAG for short. Uh, they really ensure that the animals are being paired uh, for breeding with an appropriate mate as well as being housed at a facility that they have the greatest chance of success. Uh, so uh, they do this through a really complex database of potential mates uh, called stud books. Uh, and these stud books are really uh, there to able to, uh, they're really able to create uh, breeding and transfer plans for each individual species uh, that are very complex and very accurate. Uh, this is a really large undertaking. Uh, and there are also like currently almost uh, 500 SSPs in place in North America and many more throughout the world. And it's uh, really due to these uh, complex breeding programs uh, and the SSP uh, that zoos have been able to uh, bring a number of species back from the brink of extinction, uh, which is kind of really what uh, the next part of uh, this podcast is going to be talking about. So uh, one of the first uh, species uh, that uh, I think is worth mentioning in the uh, list of kind of success stories of animals that have been on the brink of extinction uh, and brought back by zoos uh, is the Arabian oryx. Uh, so this uh, majestic antelope, uh, often called the unicorn of the desert, uh, once inhabited the entire Arabian Peninsula uh, from Iraq to Syria uh, and was completely wiped out uh, from the wild after the last group was either captured or killed in the 1970s. Uh, so this uh, once widespread animal was hunted by the native people of the area and was only wiped out due to human encroachment when oil companies brought roads and excessively uh, wasteful hunting parties um, to the area. Uh, the oryx is fast, but not faster than a westerner uh, with a gun and a car, unfortunately. Uh, luckily for the oryx, uh, conservationists predicted uh, the wild population's demise and managed to capture several individuals in an expedition called Operation Oryx. Uh, you can read more about it, it's pretty cool. Uh, these individuals were then housed at the Phoenix Zoo in Arizona, enjoyed by several individuals from a private collection at the London Zoo. Uh, this group had several calves in the first year, and the breeding program was expanded to the Los Angeles Zoo, uh, Glades Zoo, and San Diego Wild Animal Park in order to keep the population genetically diverse. After several years of captive breeding, uh, the oryx were actually slowly uh, able to be released uh, in small herds into uh, Omen in uh, 1982, and then uh, to Jordan and then Saudi Arabia. Today there are over a thousand oryx living in the wild or in nature reserves and over 7,000 living in zoo breeding programs across the world. Uh, so this is a great example of um, even early, you know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, that zoos were really uh, stepping in and realizing when a species was at the brink of extinction and uh, bringing them into their uh, collections and really focusing on breeding them so they could be released back into the wild. Pretty cool uh, that zoos were able to be taking part of that. The next uh, 
success story that I want to talk about is actually the Przewalski's horse. Uh, this is pretty well known uh, throughout the zoo community, uh, how zoos had a fundamental uh, part in the survival of this uh, amazing, amazing horse. Uh, so this uh, uh, wild horse is actually one of the last truly wild horse uh, left on the planet. And they carry with them a really remarkable uh, success story uh, relating to zoos. Um, this uh, kind of small, stockier horse was uh, found throughout Mongolia and parts of China uh, until they were completely wiped out from the wild in the 1960s due to military activities and uh, several really harsh winters in Russia. Uh, the last individual being sighted in 1969. Uh, so luckily for the species, these individuals have been caught in the 1940s uh, for use in zoo collections, and by the end of World War II, there were two populations, small populations of 12 horses uh, located in the Munich Zoo and the Prague Zoo. Uh, so even with a small population in the late 1970s, the foundation for the preservation and protection of the Przewalski's horse was founded and uh, they really started a captive breeding program among zoos uh, throughout the world to try to increase the genetic diversity and save the species. Uh, so almost 20 years after this uh, was founded uh, in the year 1990, there was over 100 Pogwalski's horses and over 129 uh, zoological institutions. Uh, throughout the world and two years later the first herd of 16 animals was released into the wild of Mongolia and uh, followed by many more individuals. Uh, today the conservation status of the Przewalski's horse has moved from extinct in the wild to critically endangered uh, which is you know still not where it needs to be but it's a relatively sustainable population in the wild um, and now uh, with the help of that breeding program, they've moved to an endangered uh, status. Uh, so the wild population still faces many challenges, you know, harsh winters, um, things like that. But due to continued help of wildlife biologists and captive breeding programs around the world, uh, the future is looking pretty bright for this uh, once extirpated horse. Uh, and in the uh, article uh, on my website, I actually have a really cool uh, video uh, of the Przewalski horse population actually in Chernobyl. Um, it's a pretty cool video. You can just, uh, if you, you know, type in Chernobyl Przewalski's horse, um, you'll it'll uh, come up. But it's essentially how uh, there's a large population of uh, Przewalski's horse actually existing in the exclusion zone of uh, Chernobyl, which is the site of a large uh, nuclear disaster in the 60s. So uh, definitely really cool and definitely uh, worth checking out. Uh, what Besides uh, species conservation, um, one of the huge benefits of zoos and aquariums is they're basically massive education facilities uh, for the public uh, as well as being massive uh, conservation uh, facilities. Uh, it's really, really important uh, that these uh, education programs within uh, zoological facilities uh, engage visitors in a variety of conservation environmental messages throughout their trip kind of around the zoo. Uh, if you look at zoo signage, it's generally always uh, geared toward conservation and how the animal is doing in the wild and things that the uh, public can do uh, to help kind of mitigate uh, their effects on the species in the wild. 
uh, which is uh, really, really important uh, to be able to make sure that uh, kind of give the public kind of a face to the name. You know, there you hear a lot about, uh, uh, you know, palm oil uh, killing orangutans. But when you actually see an orang in front of you and you realize that this is an actual, you know, creature living thing in the wild uh, that, you know, looks a whole lot like us uh, that's being uh, essentially wiped out because of our practices, it really helps uh, kind of emphasize the need for uh you know, action and the need for uh, conservation efforts uh, to really help these species. So uh, it's, you know, it really can make people think twice about buying products uh, that could contain palm oil and stuff like that. You know, uh, it really, it really is really important, uh, especially for people that, you know, may never see or may not be privy to a lot of uh, seeing a lot of wildlife out there, people that grow up in the city, stuff like that. So, um, you know, well, one of the really great parts of zoo education program is the hands-on and close encounters uh, they get with the various animals uh, during camps and keep keeper talks. Uh, you know, being able to see that snakes aren't slimy, evil creatures uh, that a lot of people think they are. And it can have a really uh, profound impact on how uh, public views specific species. You know, speaking of, you know, camps, uh, they're fantastic education programs for kids in zoos. Uh, you know, I, I attended a uh, zoo camp when I was a kid and it really helped foster a love of animals and had a profound impact on what I'm doing today, obviously, as, you know, being a zookeeper and all, uh, you know, so it can have a really I profound impact on a uh, kid and, uh, you know, animal as animal care professionals, you need to realize that something you do, you might not think a whole lot of, but it can completely alter the way uh, a kid views an animal and completely alter the kind of goals they have in life uh, as they get older. Uh, so it is very, very important to uh, kind of show the next generation uh, how to care deeply about conservation efforts and in turn uh, care about the environment as a whole. All right, so one of the uh, last points here I have for the uh, benefits of zoos and aquariums is uh, the research that they uh, these facilities do and are continuing to do. Uh, you know, AZA and other accreditation bodies often provide research grants uh, to zoos so they can do uh, really valuable research on their captive populations as well as, uh, you know, a lot of these programs can have large benefits on the wild populations of the same species. You know, having to uh, access uh, to captive populations of animals can be extremely beneficial to researchers. Uh, they don't need to go traipsing around the jungle uh, and you know other potentially inaccessible environments uh, to find the animal. Uh, they can easily uh, manipulate the conditions and view them 24/7. You know they can set up a camera inside the exhibit and see them all night long, all day long. Um, you know some animals are almost impossible to find in the wild. Uh, so really especially endangered ones, you know, the, the ones that actually really, really need uh, these conservation grants and these studies on them, are, they're hard to find, you know, so um, being able to uh, not having to blow your whole budget on even trying to locate the animal uh, can really, really help your study go a long way. So 
some successful research programs houses zoos uh, include the manatee research program located at the uh, moat marine laboratory and aquarium as well as uh, you know the leatherdale international polar bear conservation center located at the cinnamon park zoo and many many more uh, the research done by zoos and aquariums around the world helps us uh, better understand a species as well as make plans to mitigate threats uh, and other things faced by the species uh, as well as you know set up these um, effective captive breeding programs uh, based on how they you know behave in the wild and stuff like that this research is really critical uh, to the survival of all threatened species on earth and is one of the largest benefits of zoos and aquariums around the world so uh, based on the information that i presented in this podcast uh, you know it's really clear that zoos and aquariums have a tremendous benefit on the world uh, and are vitally important to the future of conservation and the survival of many species all over the world Uh, The main benefits of zoos and aquariums include conservation, education, research programs, and, uh, you know, that are designed to preserve and protect wild populations of animals, as well as educate the public about the threats that face them. I also see it as a benefit, really, uh, that zoos and aquariums receive so much criticism and hate, uh, because I believe that constantly being under the microscope forces the, the zoo community as a whole to constantly evaluate and refine their practices and what they stand for. And this really drives positive change within facilities. Uh, I have to say, after several years of working in zoos and aquariums, I'm proud and I feel very fortunate to be part of such an amazing community. And I know that this community will continue to have a dramatic impact on the survival of species all over the world for years to come. Well, guys, that is just about it for episode one on the benefits of zoos and aquariums. Uh, in the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Um, Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, If you got this far, uh, that's fantastic. Um, As always, if you uh, want more information about what we were talking about uh, or want to learn more about Wild Enrichment, uh, check out wildenrichment.com. You can also uh, check it out and uh, follow me at Wild Enrichment on Facebook and Instagram. You can contact me there or email me uh, and I'll get back to you uh, if you have any sort of suggestions or uh, for the show or uh, questions uh, just in animal care in general. Please feel free uh, to contact me. I'll get back to you uh, right away. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you.